two, three, four. Hi everyone, welcome to the Trudy Myrtle podcast. This is episode 15 and I'm Libby. Thank you for joining me. I've got another interview for you today. It's the second interview in my new series, Our Wardrobe Stories, where I'm chatting to people about why and how they make their clothes. I'm curious about what motivates people to sew and knit clothes. And I want to know what materials they're using and when do they get things made? And I want to know what they're learning about making and what they're learning about themselves along the way. This week, I'm talking with Vicky from Rosewood Wool, a gorgeous hand-dyed yarn company based right here in New Zealand, not far from me. Rosewood Wool sources local wool for their yarn. They've got a lot of beautiful Romney at the moment. And some of their colourways are natural dyes from plants found in their garden. I've had the pleasure of using rosewood yarn this year and I just love it. It's proper farm yarn and I'm thrilled that it's produced so close to me. As you will hear in the interview, Vicky is on a journey to make most of her children's clothes. Her story is thoughtful. It's quite sad, but it's full of love and it's totally inspiring. I really really enjoyed my visit with Vicky and our conversation has left me wanting to embrace my handmade wardrobe more than ever but it's also left me wanting to ask questions about the materials I'm using. It's really made me think. You can find all the details about Rosewood Wool and the things we talk about in my show notes which will be on iTunes and on my blog but in the meantime have you got your knitting? Have you got a cup of tea? Great. We're ready then. Here's Vicky. I'm Vicky. I'm one half of Rosewood Wool and I'm the mother of four children. Um, I have always made things my whole life. I wasn't really into sewing or knitting until I became a mother. I did more cross-stitch and painting and but always led a creative life. Um, our son went to Steiner School from when he was a year old and part of their philosophy is um, plain clothing and natural and I've always been drawn to natural things over sort of mass-produced whatever mm. so it was we found it quite hard to find him clothes that were natural and plain was the main thing and I even before we went to the Steiner school I had this real thing about my baby not being a billboard I sort of hated that yeah I didn't want him wearing sort of Winnie the Pooh t-shirts and yeah and part of the, the Steiner thought on the plain clothing is you should focus on the child, not the clothing. So that was quite, yeah, that resonated well with me. So I just started making him things, and he had strong opinions about what he would like to wear, and much like I did when I was little. So I just started, really. Mm. And then, yeah, warmth is another thing in the Steiner philosophy, and we always wore knitted jumpers and things. And I, I can't even touch acrylic, I just can't touch it, so that was really motivating for me and wanting to learn how to knit because I think sort of the polyfleece of boom around in the early 2000s and so I couldn't really get much else so I thought I'd better learn to make him some things. And was there much wool around then? To I wasn't here. Well my mother in Tauranga they have really good wool shops they're not as good as she was telling me they used to be but much better and she knit a lot for him when he was little before I could knit I just went to Spotlight. I didn't know really there was anything else. And 
they definitely had a much better selection then than they do now. Um, but that, yeah, I just went there. Didn't really think about going anywhere else. Mm. Felt perhaps a bit intimidated by wool shops. <laughs> <laughs> so you learnt in it as an adult rather than as a kid? Mm, I had learnt as a child, I think, but it didn't stick with me. And then my mother tried to teach me again, but it didn't stick either. And then I just thought, I'm just going to do it. I'm very much, if I want to do something, I'll just do it. I'll get it done. So, yeah, just read books. And I use the library a lot. Lots right. of good books there. So I started with Debbie Bliss Patterns. Oh, quite basic and I did that simple. too. Yeah. yeah. And then just went on from there. Um, I think I was thinking last night about us going to have a chat. And a lot, or nearly all of my women friends are women that have done degrees quite intellectual people and then come to have children and sort of refocus their energy on that but um, that I think the intellectual side of knitting uh, very much for me but also for them contributes to that sort of gives us another dimension in our lives mm. so we're always pushing ourselves and learning and yeah trying new techniques and always mm. yeah yeah I'm mm. in a colour work buzz at the moment oh yeah <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> yeah um so were you making clothes for yourself no, I still struggle with that very much, and I think my eldest son would be 11 in December, so that's sort of a decade of body changing, and yeah. so it's it's quite hard, <laughs> and I think I've had my last baby now, she's two, so I think, you know, I'll give myself another year, and then I'll know how things stand for the future, and yeah, yeah. I would like to, I, there's something very satisfying about children's clothing. Yeah, you don't have to worry about shapes so much. I'm very concerned with um, the aesthetics of things. I can't, yeah, I'm interested in structure and shape and I have a certain way I like things to look. So yeah, it's much more easy to achieve that with children's clothing. Yeah, yeah. I make pyjama pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good start. Yeah. Um, so you're making lots of clothes for your kids now. How, how many of your, their clothes do you make? Um... Oh, it's different with a little girl now. So I had three boys and then a little girl. And the boys, I'd make all of their shorts. I'm not great with knit. I need to get my overlocker fixed. <laughs> um, I I probably for them made fifty percent of their clothes when they were little. These my two little boys are very hard on clothes, so that's something I struggle with. Um, my third son, he can wear a pair of pants once and they throw it at the knee. Oh, so, I. Yeah, it's much harder for boys, I think, and even just sourcing boy fabrics, you know, sturdy, I find that hard. And for my daughter, that there are just so many options, and it's fun. It is fun, isn't it? It's, yeah. I my son had an opinion about he what he wore, but it was nothing compared to the girls. Oh. Have you found that, or I think from when six months probably she loved fabric and helping me and yeah she has an opinion so I think sort of from here on out I just can provide her with the choices like I have a I do have a say in what comes into the house and then she can choose from that mm. yeah mm. so yeah I'm curious to know with a busy house full of kids mm. when are you actually making things for them I'm all the time so I'm homeschooling at the moment and that provides me with a lot more time in my day to sit and knit I 
I just really believe you can always knit a row in between something and actually pushes you through your knitting quite a lot. I sew in big sort of blats of it um, and Jimmy is really amazing at taking them out and giving me time to myself to do that. Um, I have a lot of motivation for making their clothes but one of the things is it's something I really really enjoy and it's how I get my break and so yeah I, I'll just have a sort of a big go. I definitely knit in the evenings but I do knit all day as well. It's easy to sit with them and while they do their schoolwork or play or mm. they're at sports group and just yeah, mm, I, knitting there. Mm, I found that I found that with little kids they didn't seem to notice when I knit they notice when mm. I sew they notice when you're on the computer mm. and they certainly notice when you're on the phone they absolutely do but, but knitting, knitting and, and for them, I'm sure your children as much as mine it's just what we do Like mm. it's, there's nothing unusual about us sitting there knitting and they expect it mm. Yeah. Mm. so that's quite nice I recently watched um, a film called The True Cost, which is about the production of clothing and a lot about the ethics of it. And that that was probably four or five months ago, and that roused a lot in me. Um, so I've probably made about 90% of my daughter's clothes for the next... I sort of focused on a summer wardrobe, but she's got some knits in there as well. Um, there were yeah, a few things that really pushed that for me. And there are lots of... Well, my oldest son passed away last year from a brain disease. And in this movie, there are women whose children have um, not just brain disease, and certainly not from the same cause that these children are sick from the sprays they live in India, perhaps with the co- cotton plants. And, and the narrator and a doctor sort of saying these women are waiting for their children to die and that's something I've experienced and I just watching it I just thought I just can't contribute to this anymore because those women love their children the same way that we love you can take away circumstance and ethnicity you can take away all of it and their mothers that love their children and I just I saw that and I just thought it's not for me I cannot contribute and there's another woman in it that works in the what we all call sweatshops and she was unable to care for her daughter because of her living conditions. So she had to send her daughter to live with her parents and would see her once a year. And I just think that's it's not okay. No. And they're trapped in it. They actually don't have a choice. And my friend, who's very knowledgeable about these things, said, you know, it would be 50 cents a garment is all it would cost for these people to have a completely different life. But to pay them 50 cents for 50 cents more a garment. But in the big industry of it... The only way to bring these cheaper and cheaper clothes that people want fast fashion, the only place they can keep cutting money is from the workers, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a minimum they can pay for the product mm-hmm. and things. And I guess the plants, if you talk about the spraying yeah. of the cotton to do it mm-hmm. in a, with sprays, not organically, mm-hmm. costs, costs yeah. the sprays, or at least you, I suppose you can keep the cost down, can you, if you have less workers and more sprays? Or Yeah, there was, well there's a woman in there who lives in Texas where they also grow cotton and her husband got a brain tumour and um, the specialist, there was a hub at their local hospital because they have all men in their 40s and 50s all work in agriculture, all the same sorts of tumours. Crikey. I just, yeah, it's so horrific but it's so easy to think, oh that's cheap, I'll buy that and not, I'd never thought about really where my clothes came from Mm. beforehand Mm. and the excess is another thing that I'm really really working against and it's hard with so many lovely little girl things but we just don't need it 
and because fast fashion you know you think about the clothes that maybe our fathers would have had or our grandfathers you know like a, a good some good clothes and then maybe two sets of work clothes and that would have been it and now people are buying that every month mm. and it has to go somewhere and op shops are wonderful and we certainly what I don't make pretty much all comes from the op shop but people can feel good about the fast fashion because they give it to op shops but actually what happens to those clothes you've got there's too much for op shops now and a lot of it is sent to countries like Haiti but it's actually killed their local textile industry because people can just have these free clothes from essentially their dumps and then those clothes are also rotting in those communities and then there's all the gases and things coming out of them it's huge it's it's absolutely massive I'll try not to talk about it too much. It's oh, I'm very, very it's worth abs- watching. So, what remind us what the program is called? The True Cost. The True Cost. It's a documentary. Mm. Mm. It sounds shocking. But yeah, yeah. I think everyone would take maybe something different from it. Mm. Yeah, but certainly, it's that whole thing. We have to be the change that we want to see. Mm. Yeah, and that the young woman whose daughter's not with her, she says these clothes are made by our blood. She tried to start a union for some of the women and they called her in for a meeting and they beat her. You know, oh. it's women that don't have a voice and they're mm. women like us. Mm. Yeah. Mothers like us. Yeah. Women like us. So, so it makes you think about not only where you're getting your clothes and for yourself and for your kids. But how they're made. How they're made and, and what they're made from. And the tricky thing with that is... Anyone, any of those big manufacturers can buy organic cotton and then they can be sent off to these factories and so that's still contributing. It's, it's a huge, hard thing. So my brilliant friend that I was just talking about, she said, she read, choose four things that are important to you. You can't do it all. So choose four things that are important to you. So is it organic? Is it ethical? Is it local? Just of all the things that you could be concerned with, pick four and try and stick with those. And that's a really great, maybe not even a starting point, but maybe sort of an achievable, livable mm. thing to do. So which four did you pick? Oh, I see, I try and do it all. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, I, you know, I've always shopped at op shops for my children. Um, the quality of things is really important to me. So not throwaway fashion, and that's always been important to me. So in making their clothes, what I save doing that, I do invest in really good quality shoes and socks and tights for my daughter. Because um, I'm also concerned with how they look. I like my children to look well-dressed, and I think that... Your children do look well-dressed, I think. Thank you. Mm. Um, very I, t- I take great pleasure in dressing mm. them as well. I, that is an enjoyable thing for me. Um, yeah I just I couldn't make shoes or I can knit a couple of pieces of tights and socks but I really don't have the time mm. um, so it's for me it's worthwhile investing in those things and then I, you know I have plans to sort of resell and then reinvest the money and, and because that friend also I was saying I, I struggle to get rid of my daughter's clothes especially and my eldest son since he's passed away I, mm. I don't really concern myself that I'll keep those that's fine but her clothes, they're too beautiful to sit. But then I i don't have any of my clothes from when I was little and I do want that for her. So I started off by thinking everything I made I would keep for her and then everything I didn't make I'd pass on. 
but that's got a bit unmanageable now that mm. I'm making most of it. So my friend said, you've got your photos and you can keep, you know, a few special things, but really in terms of this sort of ethical fashion, it's better for them to not sit in a box. So mm. that's what I've come to lately is that I'm going to have to <laughs> move them along. Mm. But then I can, re- you know, a Madeline Tosh does ethical wool. And so that's, for me, that would be something I would invest in. Mm. So just sourcing those things and that's where I would mm. spend the money. So buying fibre that's been produced ethically, mm. would you? Yeah, it's not, see, it's not just buying clothes. It's what mm. we make the clothes with as well is mm. important. So I remember you mentioned to me once before about sourcing fabric from op shops too. So do you do that? Do yes. you sort of unpick old garments or buy fabric? I or? buy fabric from the op shop, natural fabrics. Um, I've got all my friends op shop as well, so we all sort of know what each other would like. Um, and then I've been given a wonderful Liberty dress by my friend's mother. Oh. That, so when I, And I've, I've bought a skirt and top Liberty fabric. So I look for nice fabrics and... It, mostly there needs to be a usable amount you can get a pair of bloomers out of pretty much anything though um so i tend to mm, the the full dress there's a lot of fabric there so i have put that away until she's a bit bigger to make the most of it and so i just tend to rip the seams out um yeah all the seams take all the buttons off um iron them out and then go from there there's a couple uh, one little dress i made here where there wasn't i think i just used a blouse for it and so i kept all the button bend and just reuse that cut a bit of work out yeah, that's a good idea that yeah. is a good idea yeah because I spoke to my mum recently and uh, people might have heard that interview and she talked about how they used to do a lot of that mm. upcycling from clothes mm. and nothing went to waste but something we didn't really talk about which I realized afterwards was the size of their wardrobes and so we've mm. talked a little bit about that but presumably your kids have less clothes I mean to you be able to make so. them all you would think <laughs> so one of the, the comments that people made to me uh, uh, quite a few people said to me after hearing the interview with my mum is how they would love to be able to make more but it's just time and money mm. I I had a friend who lives in the States and she just felt overwhelmed by the clothes so she got rid of I think she kept three outfits per child she said it's amazing I have to do the laundry every day so it's not piling up I'm not confronted with it incredible mm. um my children are very very lucky to be surrounded by family that loves to give them beautiful things and friends and we get a lot of hand-me-downs so uh, we've got to the point where jimmy often will be like oh, another pick. <laughs> um so we sort of pick through them but i've i've learned i don't have to take everything i try and take things that go with the other things um, I'm sort of only just starting out with the boys because it, like I said it is harder and they're getting to the age where they have an opinion about what yeah how they'd like to look and what they'd like to wear um, Willow I think being little we're still doing seasonal you know she changes sizes quite frequently and mm. there's lots of seasonal change but I think this season we're coming into she she will have very minimal because I think your children tend to only wear a couple of favourite things anyway. Mm, my kids definitely have favourites. Yeah, so it's about being really aware of, of that and probably more for toddlers and things, what actually works for you as a parent for them to wear. Mm. Yeah. So, I'm yeah, it would be great to fit it all in their wee drawers. Well, that's <laughs> the other thing. I Years ago, we bought some drawers when we were in England off eBay 
And I deliberately chose small drawers so that my kids could only have a small amount of clothes. That was my rationale, and actually for myself too. And it sort of worked, but like you, we get, well, we actually don't get so many now, but in England we got a lot of hand-me-downs. And it's hard picking and choosing. And certainly when I- And not hurting feelings. And not hurting feelings, (laughs) yeah. And and also doing it before the kids see you get the bag. Yes. That is a real challenge. So once they've seen it, it's just all over. They're trying everything on and they want to keep it. So I have to do it very secretly. But yes, having smaller drawers and trying to fit, it's for me was a good place to try and start. I don't know if I'm succeeding. No, I've certain they've got small sets of drawers. Um, knits are tricky because mm. they are a bit bulkier, um, and we have a lot of hand knits in our drawers. Mm. So yeah, just working with things like that. But I certainly look forward to having less in her in her drawers in particular. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. um, the excess. Yeah, it's hard, and it's hard to say to people actually. You know, they have enough clothes when they they've been so generous and so giving, and and I feel very grateful to have people like that in my life. So it's hard to find the balance there. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting as well as kids get older. My girls haven't really got there yet. And my eldest daughter's coming up 12. <laughs> my son is sort of on the verge of it. But you talked about noticing what they want to wear. And I, mm. my son is suddenly aware of brands. Wow. My girls aren't really. And actually none of them are even conscious of any sort of fashion. But I guess mm. for some people, I mean for me it's never worried me about putting them in a fashion and you talked about dressing them so aesthetically pleasing to you so yeah it that's about what I like and Mm. I actually struggle with fashion I don't and uh, talking to my mother about this stuff she used to get a lot of our clothes sent from mother care in the UK over for us and I asked her why and she said it was the quality for that not that expensive for the good quality and other people didn't have it and it's not about standing out for me. Mm. It's just, it's about what suits my children, what I think looks nice. And sometimes those things do come into fashion and then I tend to not like them so much. Isn't that terrible? I do that a bit. <laughs> but it's, yeah. It's not about standing out. And I think when not, if you ask my boys, I presented them with a t-shirt we were given and just they just would not wear it because they knew people would comment on it. Anything mm. people comment on, they won't wear Oh, that's interesting. They used to it with the knits because it's just sort of generally about the knitting, but they yeah they don't like they don't want attention to be different. for it. And that's when I'm making the clothes. It's important to me that they don't look handmade, so I spend a lot of time on the finishing of them and yeah, doing it really properly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Satisfying too. Satisfying mm. putting it on them. Yeah. Knowing that it's it'll last. And yeah, my little girl was wearing um, a dress that I had knit her in a recent trip somewhere and a woman said um, someone must love her very much and I thought well yeah <laughs> actually <laughs> and I think they know that I think they know they love when I knit something for them mm. so, and they know that it's there's love in it and it's mm. special for them and that's a message I'd like them to carry with them as well mm. that I put the time into them yeah. yeah I agree with that I've certainly felt that as a kid mm. and I certainly think my kids feel that mm. now when I when I make stuff for them I think um, for my other children um, since their brothers passed away we have a different kind of life now and I want them to know they're as special you know it's easy when someone's mm. passed away to make them sort of iconic or whatever but I want them to know they're as special as him and that's one way that I can let them know that and I think for me and Jimmy to create them a beautiful life 
yeah, I don't really know how to describe that, but a special life and that we can have, a, it, it will always be a different life, but we can aim for a good life and surround ourselves with beautiful things that make us feel better. Mm. And yeah, that's another true. way that we can do that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Mm. Mm. So tell me a little bit about Rosewood Wool. Well, I was going to say that sort of leads me to Rosewood Wool because mm. that came about around the anniversary of my son's death, the first anniversary, and I was with a good friend of mine who, her, her son was my son's best friend, and we went to this local farm that sold wool just in their little farm shop, and we bought some wool because we had seen it was closing down, and we went halves in a bag of un, undyed eight ply, I think it was an eight ply, and as we were leaving, driving home back to Hamilton, we were like, gosh, that's that was good <laughs> quite exciting and I'm like what if, I wonder what's going to happen to all that other wool we saw there and so we got home we thought about it and my son's anniversary was coming up and my friend just Nicola the other half of Rosewood yeah we talked about so let's find out let's find out what's happened to the wool maybe we could start something here and she said right we'll do it we've got to get you through May <laughs> and so that was our motivation get good. me through May so we rang and we went and we bought our first lot of wool from them. They were um, a couple that they'd farmed that land for their children's whole lives and the woman had actually lost children too. I'd talked to her about that previously. So he is Romney Wool and he had farmed Romney sheep because she was a fibre person and that was the fibre that she believed was the best fibre. And so, yeah, that's why they farmed it and so we could visit the sheep that the wool was from and she got really sick and they were selling the farm to go into a sort of community and so he had to sell it all and so we bought the first lot and away we went and then we thought hang on a minute it's not going to be there forever so we gathered all our resources and went back and bought the rest wow and here we are wow so tell me um do you dye it we dye it in our kitchens yes and there's the two of you two and we we We've had other little things together before. We made, um, probably about five years ago now, we used to get old blankets, wool blankets, and make children's coats. They were only old blankets with holes in them. I can't bear to cut them. <laughs> yeah, so just, again, upcycling and mm. making use of again. And we both make quilts together with our children's old clothes. And um, yeah, so we've split the work in a way that works for both of us. She currently works full time, and I'm at home with the children. So we sort of got to a place where I was doing a lot of the dyeing, and then she would do a lot of the winding of an evening. And then there's things like I'm, I'm just absolutely terrible at the post office. <laughs> I, I'm Three kids around your feet. I'm just terrible. <laughs> I've got a parcel sitting here that I should have posted a year ago. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just have a mental block. So anyway, she's fully in charge of posting. I just cannot be responsible I do all the social media um, all the sort of graphic design and aesthetic stuff yeah but we just work really well together yeah yeah sounds like you bounce off each other rather nicely yeah we just we get each other and we have really good communication and I yeah I think probably being friends for 10 years you know we've learned the ins and outs of each other and yeah mm. We're quite similar. We're both Virgos, and we have we're particular. 
And we're also good at just letting the other one be. Like, she knows I have my funny ways and same. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. So your colourways, I just think they're absolutely stunning. Thank you. So how do you find the colours that you want to dye? Well, one of the main motivations was firstly buying real wool that was not hugely processed and sort of fluffy merino. That certainly has a place, but I was looking for something sort of that would last a long time and lots of children and... Um, so that was one thing and the other thing was not being able to find colours for things I would have in my head that I wanted to make so I just started playing really and yeah I'll, I'll just get a colour in my head and think okay that's what we'll do and and then I might sort of develop you know maybe do a half strength or or we might think okay we really need to work on a dark brown so we just play it's mm. lots of playing mm. I think i um, Obviously there's something in us that has a good understanding of colour and what, what's going to work and what's not. We're not huge on the brights. No, you've got a beautiful muted palette. That's what mm. I, I love about well, Some that. of it's quite bold, but there's always a, a sort of murkiness underneath, mm. something that sort of warms them up a bit rather than just cool bright colour. Somehow takes them back to the earth or colours of nature or something. There seems to be a reference oh, for me. That thank you. They're like <laughs> real colours of the world yeah I mean we both have big gardens and nature's you know we have outside children more than inside children so I'm sure it all goes in there somehow Mm. yeah and tell me a little bit more about the Romney because you said that the woman that you bought them that the fiber lady that you bought the wool from thought that they were the superior so uh, they have she um, loved it they have a a long fiber their fleece is long um and then they had it worsted spun locally, well, semi-locally in New Zealand. Um, and so they take out the sort of tender little fleeces. It's all hogget as well, which is for the first year young. Um, and our wool kind of, it, I don't know if you've noticed, mm. um, sort of blooms and softens mm. as you go and continues to do that for a long time. And that's sort of the opening up of those fibres is their worsted spun. So that's yeah, just the long fibres. So that's how we get the low low pill as well. Mm. Yeah, and I know for some people, in comparison to merino, Romney mm. might seem a little like sort of slight edge to it, a slight crunchiness or crispness. crispness. Yeah. How have you found people responding to that? Um, I think it's, it's interesting. I, th- I there's a lot of um, oh, I don't know how to describe them, but maybe hobby knitters, people that are not like you and I that we knit lifestyle there we go I like it (laughs) and hobby knitters that you know they're only after soft and often in a market there'll be probably every second market there'll be someone that comes in and says well have you got anything softer and they're not yeah we sort of try and explain to them that it does soften and it's yeah there's those people that will only knit and superwash machine washable a lot of people are only interested in that now and that's fine I totally understand that we try and help people understand that you actually don't need to wash wool very much at all um, Nicola's great on the laundry I'm not so great on it um, but you know just actually real wool like ours it still has a lot of the lanolin in it you can just air it out or just sort of spot clean I mean, babies are tricky with them mm. but even babies I used real nappies for my kids mm. and we 
eventually, after years of doing it, settled on woolen covers mm. for the kids. And I didn't wash them that often. Mm. And when they did get mucky, I just spot wash them and hang them up. Yeah. That it doesn't really need. It really doesn't. Washing. And you give your wool. I mean, our wool it should last for a very long time, but yeah, it's less of the wear and tear. Washing is a stress on it. Mm. Yeah, but the the farmer, the husband of the fibre woman, he. Um, every time we would go, he would have the same three-ply jumper that she'd knit him, and it had a couple of the elbows had gone through, and I think there was one little bit on the front that she'd darned, but it must have been 30 years old. It was just beautiful, and he wore it every day. Gorgeous. That's (laughs) really nice. Yeah. So this wool, though, this big lot that you bought, will it come to an end? It, It will. It's something we haven't really talked about yet with anyone except you. Oh. <laughs> um, we, we've actually finished dyeing the eight ply. So, yeah, there is still eight ply there to buy, but not heaps. Um, we've put aside jumper lots for when your <laughs> lovely patterns release so that Pete, if they want to knit your beautiful pattern in rosewood, they'll be able to do that. I think we even have one lot of henna. Oh, beautiful. Set aside for that, for someone. Um, we have the Aaron Waite, which actually, I always thought, oh, eight ply's definitely going to be the most popular, but there are so many patterns coming out in, in the Aaron Waite. Um, ours is a 12-ply, but that's probably more the technical side. It, it knits as a modern worsted weight Aaron. Yeah. Um, and then we've got the 3-ply, which... Is a bit unusual for people we get a lot of people asking us about four ply but we were we could only buy what was available to us so it's three plies but it's like a heavy lace weight is it or yeah just a little bit less than a, a four ply mm. um but uh, you can i've double stranded it and done it as a sport weight and it's um and if you do double strand ours it does ply together as you knit it so it holds itself so really it's got well. that nice stickiness to yeah. it from the spinning. Um, and three plies are amazing for colour work. Mm. <laughs> My current little fuzz. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so there's, there's three ply and there's the ten ply stilted or top ply stilted dye. And we're currently talking about what the future of Rosewood looks like when that runs out. We both enjoy it there's a demand for it because we only do solids or you know a slight variation but and people want that and part of our other motivation for rosewood is we want people to wear warm garments warmth is huge for us and we priced it in a way that we hoped people could afford to buy enough to knit jumpers not just sort of 100 grams um because we want people wearing wool really <laughs> yeah and you know wool's good for the environment we we the way we process or do our dyeing is really low impact and that's important for us and yeah it should last many people many years whereas every time you wash polar fleece a little bit of plastic goes down the drain <laughs> <laughs> i think that's quite a nice place to end do you sure Thank you for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed making it. I had such a great conversation with Vicky and we chatted for ages afterwards as well. Isn't it fascinating? It's it's left me feeling 
Well, initially it left me feeling a bit hopeless, a bit stunned and overwhelmed. But I came home and I actually bought the movie that she talked about, True Cost. You can find it on iTunes and on Netflix. I got mine off iTunes and I watched it. I showed some of it to my big two kids, but not all of it yet. And it's 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 worth watching, I think. It's it is really worth watching. It's quite sad. And it's it is a bit overwhelming, maybe. But I've thought about what Vicky said about taking four points and making changes about just four things. In fact, four is almost too many for me, and I've thought about two. And I thought the first thing that I'll keep doing, that I do try and do, and I really will try and keep doing, is just have less, less clothes. And certainly for my kids, they have too many clothes. And really, they don't actually have many clothes compared to most, I don't think. But just trying to keep smaller wardrobes for all of us I think is a good place for me to start and also just to ask questions not just to blindly buy just to ask some questions now a lot of this takes preparation I know that and it is hard work and you do have to sort of think in advance and we all feel busy we've got a lot to do but I just think it's worth it and I do think that every little voice matters we all matter and we all make a difference now if you want to catch up with Vicky and her beautiful wool You can find it at um, lots of places, actually. You can find her on Facebook, Rosewood Wool. On Instagram, their Instagram feed is worth following. It's full of lovely pictures. So they're Rosewood Wool on Instagram. And you can go and buy their wool from their online shop, which is based on a site in New Zealand called Felt, F-E-L-T. So you can find their shop at felt.co.nz slash shop slash rosewood wool but if you just google rosewood wool it will bring up it'll bring up a link to that shop at one of the top hits so go and click on that and see what they got they've got i know they've got a wee bit in their shop at the moment which you can go and buy and it is worth it i absolutely love their yarn i love the colors that they've got so go and have a little look and thank you for listening if i'd love to hear your thoughts on all of this as well so just drop me a line i love getting all your emails So drop me a line and tell me what you think too. Have a happy day. Happy knitting. Is it a scarf or is it half of a sweater? From what I've heard, it could be a third of a poncho. There's no excuse now not to be knitting. Because you can do it standing and you can do it sitting. Is it a hat or is it the start of a blanket? Maybe a ball or even a shawl for a baby. There's no excuse now not to be knitting, cause you can do it standing and you can do it sitting. Take out your needles, yeah, we're casting up. One, two, three, four, five, but once I got a fish and love you, you can do it, Mary. You can do it, John. Is it a gnome or some other homely creation? Wait and see, it might even be for a teapot. There's no excuse now not to be knitting, cause you can do it standing and you can do it sitting. Take out your needle, yeah, yeah, we're casting on. Once I got a fish and love you, you can do it, Mary. Yeah, you can do it.
Crochet.